Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Big DK Energy Podcast. My name is Danny Kay, or the DK in the Big DK Energy. And I must say, even though that math was not one of my strong suits growing up, I will say podcasting is a strength of mine. And speaking of strength, today's topic is athletics. And on the show today with me is a strength coach. Hailing all the way from Gainesville, he rents out the self-made training facility here in Castleberry, Florida. He's also a podcast host, and so it's a really long name, so bear with me, folks. It is the Athletic Transformation Project Podcast. There we go. And so you could definitely tune in to help get some health tips there. So put your hands together and uh, help me welcome today's guest, Mr. Zach Woodward. Thank you for having me, dude. I appreciate the intro. It's the best one I've ever gotten, for sure. I'm so glad and happy to hear that because I try to do my best to give everybody an intro that they deserve. I like it. I like it. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we're here in your, I know this is a space, but this is your dojo. Exactly, exactly. We're in the house of Gaines at the moment. (laughs) Nice. So you're from Gainesville, but yet you made your way to Orlando. Is there a lot more to do in Orlando than Gainesville? (laughs) Just a little bit, for sure. Uh, We've got the University of Florida there that's helping us go strong, giving us some entertainment, but it's definitely much more small town vibe than Orlando. It's much more of a big city. Awesome. And uh, with bigger city comes bigger opportunities, such as bigger opportunities to get bigger. Hmm? (laughs) Absolutely. So you're a strength coach. Yeah, so strength coach by trade, personal trainer. Um, I've worked in collegiate strength and conditioning. I've worked at three different collegiate facilities, including uh, UCF. I've coached them Division One national champion teams when I was there. Now I work more in the, the private sector, primarily with athletes coming off of knee injuries. So I work with a lot of athletes coming back from ACL tears, meniscus injuries, MCLs, like all of that stuff, helping them to to get back on the field and get them better than they were before. That's a beautiful thing that you're doing because it's not just season-ending injuries. Sometimes they're career-ending injuries, the ones that happen around the knee. 100%. And yeah, these days, like the stats like on them are, are not good. They're definitely become, happening more and more frequently, and the recovery rates are not as good as I would maybe like them to be. So it's definitely something that I try and play a small part in making a little bit better. Awesome. So... I know that it's a tear, and for some odd reason, you know, when I hear tear, I think of like a tear of like a piece of construction paper. I'm like, okay, that's not bad. But obviously, if it's enough to end a multi-million dollar player's season, then, you know, that's kind of a bad thing. So I know that the ACL and the MCL are both in the knee, but like not which one is worse, but can you describe each tear for me? Yeah, yeah. So the big thing, like if, like, kind of like you say, it's like if you tear the skin, it's not necessarily such a bad thing, but it's more of just what we're tearing. So we're tearing like a ligament in the knee. A ligament is something that connects bone to bone. So one of the the few pieces of tissue in there that helps hold the two bones in the knee together. Um, You only have a handful of them. So when you tear one of those completely, like that knee can become very loose, unstable. And so that's just one of the big pieces of kind of infrastructure that's holding that thing together. So when we lose something like that, when that tears, we lose a lot of that strength, mobility, just capacity to even walk sometimes. Um, So it can definitely be something that's that's very serious, unfortunately. Have you ever had to teach someone how to walk again? I'm not sure if I would use the language of teach, but I mean, I have people that will come in here like on crutches, big old like cyborg knee brace, the whole deal. And so like we eventually get them to get stronger, get walking, get running and that sort of thing. So that is something that becomes part of the process. We maybe would, I'd maybe say that we focus a little bit more on rebuilding the strength and the tissues in and around the knee so that they are able to walk again on their own more so than like teaching per se, like you would teach a skill. Okay, that's fair. So as a Dolphins fan, one thing that always concerns me, it's not how good Tua is, but he had a huge injury right before he was drafted. Mm. 
and I believe that was a hip injury. It was either a hip or one of the ACL or MCL tears. And so, fuck, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, I mean, it is one of those things. So maybe just to like jump off, jump on that. It is one of those that like it can make you be kind of hesitant or like concerned about the longevity of a player just because we know that the like the stats around like once you have one like the risk is significantly higher of that happening a second time that's actually exactly what i was about to touch on so thank you for reminding me but it's just that yeah so when i know that you can rebuild something and sometimes they say sometimes when you rebuild something it's stronger is that the case for your knee so the idea of like when you go in and surgically repair the the acl or whatever it is like they're going in and there's a couple of different options they can either usually they will take a piece of another tendon in your body. So they will either take the quad tendon, the patella tendon, or the hamstring tendon, or the big three, and they will strip off a piece of that, remove the torn ACL, and they will replace that in there and kind of use that to as a substitute. So rather than necessarily like tie the current ACL that you have together. I'm not sure on the actual like science of like what the tensile force is between the two if it literally makes it stronger i wouldn't off the top of my head say that's something that i would necessarily consider advantageous so i'll put it like that <laughs> okay fair you just got a new knee awesome now i'm gonna do base jumping you know yeah, for, I don't... for parachuting I'm like, yeah we're oh. not at the we're not at the science fiction state yet where once you get a knee operation you can start jumping over buildings so we're, we're not quite there yet i'm still waiting for that day one day it's gonna be a bad day it's gonna put me out of business or maybe you just adapt your business so that you teach people how to prevent injury while jumping so high. There you go. See, it's all about adaptability. 100%. And speaking of adaptability, you know, I'm sure that some individuals that you've not necessarily had to rehab per se, but um, I'm sure you've had some stories where you were able to heal them through your instruction. So uh, could you list me one of those times that you, that really makes you feel proud? Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, there's a few. The one the one that jumps out just because her, her story is so crazy. So I've, I've actually posted about her her recently on the on my social media and stuff. But she was a skier who's had um, nine knee surgeries, various ACL tears, complications that I've had to go back and in. So like literally between the two knees, between the multiple injuries, she's had nine knee surgeries between all of them. And so a skier was never able to get back to 100%, like doing all the things, like obviously just continuing to have these recurring, recurring, recurring issues. And so we worked together, not even in person, actually, we just did some some programming remotely through our kind of coaching program. And she's recently come back. Her most recent one was a meniscus tear and she's finally got back skiing. She's pain-free. She's squatting full range of motion. Um, she's doing all the, all the things that she wants to. So very kind of happy, proud about that. Like you see lots of kind of horror stories about once you have that one, it can snowball into other things. So yeah, trying snowball. to make that, yeah. uh, Not laughing at her, but you know, that was a good pun. <laughs> I didn't even see that there. I like that, but yeah. So the satisfaction of helping someone get back on the slopes, I'm sure that specifically wasn't one of your um, inspirations of going into this field, right? No. So like, I'm definitely, I have a, like a soccer background and the majority of the athletes that I work with are soccer players. So Did guys, you play flow? Yeah, we played in high school together. And then I went and <laughs> played at division two level of Florida Tech before I made the transition over to UCF. Oh, look at this, a collegiate athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We had a little miniature career. It's still more than most people can say. Yeah. So I mean, even with that like that's actually partly what started me into the stuff that I'm doing now um, because I broke my ankle my senior year of high school going into that freshman year at Florida Tech and that was just a like that recovery process was was very very challenging for me I missed almost an entire year straight with barely being able to play and then trying to make that transition back to playing like after I was healthy again was was very very challenging physically mentally like all of that stuff and so that definitely led me down the routes of getting into more of the return to sport like injury prevention stuff that I do now to your point like when you're talking about seeing somebody get back from the girl with nine knee surgeries and stuff like that getting back to skiing doing the things that that she wants to do before that is extremely powerful and selfishly like coming from originally more of like a performance pattern 
background, sports performance background, strength conditioning, working with athletes, like the impact and the role that you have on a high level athlete as a strength coach, while it's very flashy and looks fun to be training high level guys, like the actual impact that you have on their performance and on their career is small. Like let's say you take someone who's already a very good athlete, already playing at a professional level or a collegiate level, and I get them 10% faster in six months. I've done a fantastic job but 10% just in raw speed, not necessarily even making them a better basketball player or football player. Like, you know what I mean? Like the return on investment or like the margin of contribution is relatively small. So selfishly, it's just wanting to have more of an impact, like to have somebody who can be in that original situation of having gone through multiple knee surgeries, not having the, the results they want from maybe more traditional methods, and then being able to get them to do stuff that they could never do before. Like that's definitely much more rewarding and fulfilling for me personally. Listen, I know you just said that you are only like a minuscule part of these athletes' lives, but I just want to let you know that from a simpleton like me who doesn't know anything about this stuff, I think you're doing God's work. I appreciate that. That means a lot. And I do feel like I've transitioned from the collegiate strength and conditioning world to more of like the private sports performance facility to now literally doing stuff independently, working purely for myself because I have... Mazel tov. Like, thank you, thank you. Because I have wanted to do things a little bit differently. And so that you kind of rub up, like it can be a challenge to do that in, in certain environments. And so now being able to be in my own space, work with my own clientele, like I have that freedom to do all of the, the weird things that I want to do with all of them. And so far it's been getting kind of fairly good results. And so I'm, I'm very happy about that. What are some of these weird alternative takes to regular personal training that you take? Yeah, so particularly with you make within... them dress up as superheroes or something like that? <laughs> no, no, well I am one of the weirdos in the gym that's always walking around barefoot without shoes on. So with the knee stuff in particular, like one of the big things we do, one of the things that helps us get results um, that maybe other people can't necessarily do is a lot of working through full range of motion. So working that knee over toe, which was a myth for a long time, something that is something that you should never do. It's bad for your knees. And so we actually will take a lot of our athletes and try to maximally train them in this knee over toe position. And so that can actually have some, yeah, some beneficial effects for all of the internal structures in the knee, those tendons, those ligaments, those connective tissue. Um, so if you're trying to picture what I mean when I say knee over toe, like imagine if you were standing up and squatting all the way down, mm -hmm. your knees would traditionally go forward quite a bit. And so there is a, like a study that came out in back in like the sixties or the seventies or something like that, that said, when you allow the knees to go forward more, you put more load, more force onto the knees, which is true. But they then extrapolated that to then mean that that is something that was bad, something that you should not do. So what happened is they started changing people's biomechanics in a squat where they would no longer allow the knee to go forward and you would stick your butt way back, almost like you're leaning forward a lot in your squat. And so while that saved a little bit of pressure in the knees, I think it was only like a 10 or 20%, like it was not that much, it would 10X the amount of load that was going into that lower back. And so it was again, just not maybe the, the best application of some of the, the research or the methods that was out there and is now something that is becoming more widely accepted through someone like Ben Patrick, the knees over toes guy is very big, like social media influence, someone I've had the, the privilege to learn from and train with quite a bit. And I use a lot of some of those more unorthodox uh, methods with a lot of my athletes to help them build up the structures in the knee coming back from these knee injuries that they're dealing with. Interesting. It's always funny to hear about like studies of the past and thinking back when we were kids, we thought, oh, they totally have it. But then as we grow older, we're like, these guys are full of shit. Yeah. I mean, you see that in the fitness industry a lot, not necessarily studies, but there's just all sorts of, of myths and things out there that are that have been widely accepted for a long time that have no basis in, 
actual science or application, what things are, like that. What are some of your favorite misconceptions? Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, for my specific application, that, that knees over toes one is a very big one. There's lots of different realms within the fitness space that you can get into in terms of body composition, just training to be a stronger version of yourself. And I've actually tried to intentionally kind of niche down just a little bit to focus more on some of these specific athletes to grow from a personal perspective, business perspective, and everything like that. Um, so I try to actually stay a little bit more in the trenches of what I do and not do too much of some of these other more just traditional gym training. There's anything wrong with that. It's just not the focus that I have. It's not what you want in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, some of the some of the big ones would be around nutrition and stuff like that. Those are, I'm honestly not even sure if I want to touch that because, you know, as soon as you say anything nutrition-wise, people, one side of the fence or the other will start to jump on I mean, you. I still believe in the food pyramid, if that makes, if that makes you feel yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's probably probably one of the best ones is like a lot of stuff about red meat being something that's bad for you that can increase cancer risk or heart disease like that's something that's absolutely not true stuff like grains being like the base of that food pyramid what you should have the most of like that's probably not the case stuff like eating a high protein diet is going to be bad for the liver or going to be bad for all these things like that stuff's like the opposite of what we want to be doing so yeah there's a lot of stuff in the nutrition space that's probably where there's the least science you also see like the biggest influence from other companies like influencing some of the research that's being done in order to then promote some of their products on the back end, like stuff like that. Uh, the most American thing you could do, create a problem, then sell the solution. Yeah, it's very smart, but unfortunately we're the ones that receive the bill for that on the back end. Yeah, and the, and the worst part is the hospital bills ain't cheap either. No, not these days, no, not so much. Yeah, absolutely, but we won't need that if we take care of ourselves properly and have the right strength conditioning, is the, am I right, Zach? 100%, 100%. I mean, there's obviously, there's, there's tons of research on how much being in, in shape will reduce medical bills and improve lifespan, all-cause mortality, quality of life, everything like that. Prevent diabetes. All of the above. I mean, I only know that because it runs in my family. And mm. so my dad's like, Danny, if you don't do something about it, you're going to get it. One thing that I really underestimated the impact of was the nutrition part, actually, because I'm thinking I'm just eating. I'm not doing anything to move my body. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's hard to say like, I know there's there's people who say it's all nutrition or that it's all fitness and like I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle but it definitely plays a huge role and makes everything else you do much easier if your nutrition is, is halfway decent. Absolutely and um, the best part is you don't need to eat brown rice and vegetables all the time. It doesn't have to be boring no I have steak and salmon for dinner almost every night and it's amazing. I highly recommend it. At the same time? Usually. Ooh, yeah, okay. Yeah, great. Do you got a little bit of chef in there as well? Yeah, yeah, we'll grill up some steaks. I mean, like for reference, I typically have close to, if probably, probably usually more, about like two pounds of meat per day, like on average, which is something that's for most people, like for most like medical conventional wisdom is something that's supposed to kill you, but it's something that I've been in fantastic shape for the past like however many handful of years. It's something that suits my lifestyle. Like it's, it's very easy to do. And I think there's lots of actual benefits from it. Oh, I mean, you know, that's a thing. You work the meals off, so therefore you can do whatever you want. However, one time I was keeping to a macros diet when I was able to keep it mm. and I was really lacking with my protein <laughs> this one night and so I ate an entire pound of steak and I was like, this fucking hurts. <laughs> I thought I would love this, but this is more of a workout than an actual squat. That's funny, Hunter. You get the meat sweats, 100%. And like I've gone the, I've gone like full carnivore before, like just to try it. I'm still largely more in that direction and it is something that I do actually like and I think there's a lot of benefits too, but it can be a challenge. Like there's definitely an adjustment period where it's, it's uncomfortable for sure. I was going to say, do you have an greens in your diet? Are you a heavy emphasis on greens kind of guy? Are you like, if it comes, it comes. And if it's not, it's not the worst thing that it's not on your plate. More of the latter. Like I'm 
definitely could do more in that realm than I probably am. One of the big things for me too is like, I'm big as much on practicality as I am on, on anything else. So like something that is easy for me to prepare and do consistently, like it takes me 15 to 20 minutes to cook dinner every night. Cause I like grill a steak and cook a couple of steak. Like I'm not, I don't want to take the time to cook for an entire hour to jump up, chop up a bunch of greens and do all this stuff. So part of that's just me being lazy, but I definitely like, it's a, it's a part of my diet, but not something that's I put as much emphasis on as I maybe could. Okay. I mean, yeah, you don't need to be like one of these TikTok chefs where I'm sure they managed to condense it all into a 30 second video, but you know it was like 30 yeah, minutes and they had to film it. 100%. That's not my style. You got 18,000 dishes to, to clean on the back end. So like sim- oh, yeah, simple, and, that part. simple and sweet on, on my end. Yeah, exactly. Actually, now that you mention it, do you keep your diet just simple and sweet or do you sometimes fuck it up with like a beef wellington, for example? I have a little bit of a sweet tooth for more like ice cream and stuff like that. I absolutely love ice cream, but I'm also a big believer that if you're doing the majority of the things right? Particularly from a protein perspective. Like if you're getting your 200 grams of protein in, depending on like how big you are, obviously that will change needs just a little bit. You have a lot more leeway on the back end to do other things, maybe a little bit less strictly. Someone like Alex Hormozzi is a big guy in the business space now, but originally started off in the gym space. And he talks about this like way more heavily. Like dude is fantastically shredded and jacked, extremely muscular. And he's like, as long as I get my 200 grams of protein in, can kind of backfill whatever he wants. So this dude is notorious for having ice cream and sweets and cookies and all this stuff like consistently daily and the dude's still in fantastic shape and i think there's something to be said for that like if we take care of the protein requirements first i think that's probably the biggest piece in the nutritional realm in terms of importance and the one that people will maybe downplay the most i think that one has the biggest impact on everything else because that's going to drive muscle mass muscle tissue which has the biggest impact on metabolism so i don't like you said earlier like you have to burn everything off like I don't train that hard. Like I'll have three to four 45 minute workouts a week. And that's, that's all I do. But I focus on building strength. I'm building muscle mass. And like, I'm not somebody that's gigantic. I'm in good shape. So it's not like I'm a, I'm a giant meathead, but that will then drive you being the body composition side of things of being much leaner, which is, I think what most people would want. Like I walk around at seven, 8% body fat, like year round. But like, my point is like, it's not from doing anything super crazy. It's from doing like having set things up to where it suits my lifestyle, to where I can be consistent with it and do it regularly over time. But then I can't like, there's plenty of wiggle room for me to have ice cream. I love those like Talenti things from Publix, that brand. Like I'll take down an entire one of those in a night and I don't feel bad about it because I'm doing everything else. And like, it'll it, there's room for that if you set up the conditions properly. Okay, I like that. And it gives a lot of people hope too, because you know, one of the things that, um, especially for me, one of the hardest things for me, except as of late, is the nutrition part. And you know, it seems like, yeah, sure, lifting a weight could be difficult, but then, you know, you see Brussels sprouts on your plate and it's just like, which one would you rather do? It's like, I'd rather just destroy my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's, I don't know, it's hard to say which one is maybe more important when you're getting started. I think the biggest thing for me when it comes to the nutritional side of things is even both is making things simpler. Like it's especially nowadays, like with access to information everywhere. Like if you go on social media, you'll find five credible sources of information saying five different things. So it's very hard to be like, what do I actually listen to? What is true and stuff like that. And so trying to make things simple and something that can be more of like a lifestyle thing. Like in the nutrition space, there's it's everyone knows that like you'll go on a diet, you'll lose a bunch of weight. And then as soon as you finish, you'll 
break that, you'll snap because it was something that you couldn't do consistently, and then you gain it all back. And so Guilty. it's like that roller. Yeah, and so it's that roller coaster. And so it's trying to stick to. That's where I was coming back to the like the principles idea. But if you can have a handful of principles that are very easy to follow, get your protein requirements in, ideally from like actual like meat sources. If you want to be vegan, vegetarian, fine. That's totally fine. You can get into get, get into that as well. I mean, food's um, expensive nowadays, yeah, especially, especially protein backed stuff. I mean, eggs. yeah. Oh my god. Like, yeah, it is, it is crazy. But like, as long as you're getting like that protein requirements, probably the big one. And so you can, there's, there's very simple math you can do based off of your body weight. The easiest way to go is you should have about a gram of protein per pound of, I would say ideal body weight, but you could even just go off of body weight. I was so, going to say some people aren't 200 pounds, but does that mean they, exactly. does that mean they would have to get 200 grams of protein to be healthy? No. Or? So that's where like the ground, the gram of protein per pound of body weight is a very easy metric to follow. So I'm about 200 pounds. I'm about 200 pounds. So 200 grams of protein makes the math very, very easy. And then you can kind of just backfill your calorie requirements from there. So if you're trying to put on strength, put on muscle, you'd be in a little bit more of a calorie surplus. If you're trying to kind of lean out or like kind of lose some body fat a little bit less calories and then if you're resistance training because resistance training is going to be like strength training is going to be by far the most effective form of training for body composition to lose fat far more effective than extended cardio even more effective than hit training and stuff like that's so like that stuff can be great but just actual like training like you train like a bodybuilder as long as like as unappealing as that sounds it's by far the most effective for actually just improving body composition and you're not going to like blow up like Arnold's like unless you have to try very very hard to do something like that so making the nutritional stuff simple get your protein and then backfill your calories strength train three to four times a week like for an hour if you do that for six months, you're going to be in fantastic shape. Awesome. Oh, yeah. And so I know that you said about a gram per body weight for protein, right? I've kind of heard the same thing for water. Is that true? That one, I don't know the, the numbers off off the top of my head. As a general rule, most people, you like you could probably get away with drinking more water. Most people probably aren't doing enough. I try uh, to drink a gallon a day. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. That's probably more than you need to. If it works, like by all means, you don't have to drink less, but like not saying that everybody needs to do that. However, I have to pee like every 20 minutes. So is it worth it? You could get away with half of that for sure. Really? Oh, for sure. One of the big things too is I'm a big fan of having that like first thing in the morning. So when you wake up, like having a big glass of water, I actually have like a little electrolyte kind of mini drink that I'll make in the morning where it's a, like just a splash of like lime juice and a little bit of maybe like a quarter of a teaspoon. I don't actually measure it. I just eyeball it of salt, but like very quality, like Himalayan salt, something like that. And then you can either mix that and like chug that all down. And that's a very, very good way to, to start your day. So like the timing of your hydration, your nutrition can be important as well. So that's one of the first things that I'll have when I wake up, particularly if you're a coffee drinker, very important to do something like that before because coffee will dehydrate you and it will limit your absorption of water kind of post drinking coffee or caffeine. That's called a diuretic, right? Exactly. So having like making sure you get that in before can be very helpful if you are someone who reaches for coffee in the morning, which I do as well. But having that first thing can be very, very helpful. Well, thank you for that. Even though I don't drink coffee because one, it gives me acid reflux and two, every time I drink it, I got to run to the bathroom immediately. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But no, that's definitely a very good way to like to, to start the day, like in terms of just simple habits, like trying to get outside first thing in the morning if you can, like there's lots of stuff. I mean, Huberman's big on it now out there about circadian rhythms and sunlight and that stuff is very, very helpful. So getting outside, even if it's just like five minutes, you don't have to do anything crazy, but that little electrolyte cocktail, like that's how I start every morning. Um, and it makes it, <laughs> it makes it a lot easier to, to get up. 
So you were talking about strength and conditioning, and so I realized that's most of your content, which is one of the reasons I brought you on the show today. But however, yours isn't a typical do this so you can get freaking strong and tear this thing in half. No, you remind me more of like move you in terms oh, of yeah. like you teach like mobility. It's not just someone doing like a shoulder press, you know, it's someone doing the full range of motion in terms of doing the shoulder press. And so I feel like I need to stretch. This is probably the remedy for it, but sometimes I feel like I can get up to like right here and then I'll feel some tension be like near my shoulder blades. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 No, I mean that, that full range of motion piece, that mobility piece is something that we, we definitely touch on a lot. It's something that we think is very, very important for improving both like joint health as well as flexibility and stuff like that. Like obviously the more range of motion we have, the more capacity to move, the more fit athletic, whether it's just from like looking good, feeling good, or even more from like the performance perspective, the more range of motion that we have access to, the better. But we will also do a lot of like our actual strength training, not just pure stretching, but through some more of these extended ranges of motion. So things like dips and stuff like that. Can we come in and get that big stretch in the shoulder, even doing uh, push-ups on like the push-up bars where we can open up some of that range of motion. So we're, A, we're stimulating greater hypertrophy because we're working more muscle fibers, right? We're taking them through a greater range of motion. We're also doing stuff, that end range stuff, that big, big stretch position while it can feel very like kind of nasty and you definitely want to be careful about loading it very progressively, very safely. It does great, great stuff for the shoulders. So coming back to that knee over toe idea, like getting the joint to bend all of the way does fantastic stuff for all the internal things in the knee. Getting that shoulder to stretch all the way is something that can really help open up some of those tight, loose shoulders even more than some of these mobility drills. And then by doing that in a fashion that's loaded, so taking dumbbells, taking weight into that range of motion, the weight will pull us deeper into the stretch, right? So we get a better stretch, but now we're taking load into that position as well. So we're also getting stronger. So we can get strength training and mobility at the same time, which I'm a big fan of. We get a lot more of that bang for buck. And it's something that will create less of just like, you know, that, mo that feeling when you stretch for half an hour and then you get up and you go and sit down and an hour later, you're like, oh my God, I'm so tight again. Your body will like reflexively like kind of tighten up. It's kind of like how you, when you go to the chiropractor, it feels great during that adjustment, but then you kind of go back to normal yeah. right afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the opposite because you create much more of an actual structural change to the tissue, not just like that kind of perceived relaxation neurologically or in the brain. So we can get much more of a permanent adaptation. So I'm someone who personally was literally nicknamed like the stiff guy, like in college as like a college athlete. And now I'm someone who can very comfortably like palm the floor, like I can get into this very deep range of motion, like lunge squat position, the ATG split squat, and I can do most of these things without having to stretch to maintain it. It's something that once you reach like a certain level it becomes very, very, almost becomes permanent is essentially where we're going with that. Dang, it's kind of like the opposite of an evil scientist when they inject everything into a being to make it stronger. It's like, you're doing the same thing, but you're doing it much more in a benevolent way. Well, I'm a big fan of, kind of to that point, like I'm a very big fan of, there's two like nerdy science concepts in the strength and conditioning world of MED, like minimal essential dose, and then max recoverable volume. So the first one, MED, is that's really the sweet spot for 99% of people. This is like, how little can I do to still get an effective training response. Because that's what we're here for. We're here for bang for buck, right? Like nobody want, not nobody, very few people want to spend two hours their day, like two hours a day in the gym. Like they have other things that they want to do. Like they want to use the gym to go play sports or do whatever. Like they have life, work, all these things. So how little can I do and still get something that actually progressively moves the needle forward. So all of these, like having these extensive training programs or these elaborate mobility routines, like all that stuff is great. I don't wanna do it. And I don't think most people do too. So like, how can I get the biggest return on my investment? Now, like if you're a elite athlete,
athlete, like we're trying to maximize your performance, that's when we go to the other end and that's maximal, maximal recoverable volume. How much can I do without breaking you? And you can still recover from and come back from and get better. So that's like the two ends of the scale. But the majority of people, like what is the biggest return on investment stuff I can do that's going to move the needle forward? And from a mobility perspective, some of these more loaded stretches or these load, these strength moves through an extended range of motion, they allow me to do two birds with one stone. And so that's some of the stuff that I'm very big on that I think is very helpful for most people. Hmm. I didn't even think you could do both at the same time. But that's great to know the fact that we've come so far in terms of like sports medicine that we have figured that out because I mean, of course, it was, it's, it's kind of a cop-out answer. When I first wanted to get into strength training, it's just like, do you want to build up muscle or lose weight? And I'm like, losing weight would make me look better. However, gaining muscle would also make me a hoss. So it's like, <laughs> I have to like fight between the two. Well, and so to that point, like training to build muscle is the single best way to lose fat hands down by far. Cause like, again, that coming back to that metabolism piece, like if you smash yourself in a CrossFit workout, like you'll burn 800 calories, but like we eat 24, 25, like 3000 in a day. Three easily. times that. Yeah. So like that's, that's not where we're going to get our calorie deficit. Like that's not where we're going to get the, like the calorie burning side of things. Like that's something that's think about it like money, right? Like you invest so that you can get money back while you sleep. Like same thing from like a fitness perspective. So if we can train to build muscle mass, and again, like the issue with saying that is like a lot of people will hear like hear muscle mass and like girls in particular will be like run, like, oh my God, I don't wanna get bulky, all this stuff. You're not gonna get gigantic, I promise. But training just to be strong, toned, whatever it is, someone like in like a calisthenics type physique is someone that it makes it much easier to again, have that body composition perspective, which is what we care about way more than just weight on the scale. If you have a lot of weight to lose, like weight on the scales and good metric to follow. But for someone who is like, if you're in good shape, like the actual weight on the scale doesn't tell you that much. Like I'm much more interested in like your, your body composition. And again, that strength training perspective by far is going to be the most effective way to, to do that. Absolutely. Actually, this kind of reminds me of my freshman year gym coach. His name was Mr. Pulaski. And so this guy played football back in the day. He was one of the football coaches, but he was like one of the fit football coaches, mm. not one of like the round yeah, ones. Yeah. So like he was <laughs> like, he was like six foot two, absolutely jacked, but he was like, yeah, I'm 230 pounds. But my doctor told me I was obese. Exactly. So. There's that term like BMI, like body mass index. And that's something that's just, it's essentially just a ratio of your height to your weight. And they plug that in and compare it to like averages like across the country. And again, if you're overweight, that can be an accurate measure. But if you're in shape, it's a terrible metric. Like the rock is morbidly obese by, I by was, that measure. I was literally about to say the rock, they're overweight, but they're not over fat. Exactly. Exactly. And like, you don't need to be as big as the rock, but like, can we take steps in that direction from like a leanness perspective, a body composition perspective? And that's where the protein and strength training side of things are going to be the main drivers. Everything else is, is icing on the cake. So everything that you said, kind of brings me up this one weird question. Who's an athlete that you look to as a good inspiration for much of your recent exercises? Hmm. So to be honest, I don't look at a lot of athletes from like the, like a strength training perspective. So especially in like the, the soccer world, the football world, I'm sorry, all the UK guys out there, half my team from when I played in college was all from the UK. Our entire coaching staff was from the UK. Like if you play soccer in America and you want to be like one of the cool kids, you say football to try and fit in. But uh, uh, okay, <laughs> you just are trying to pose as one of the cool kids. Hey, they're over here, they got to assimilate. <laughs> but a lot of the actual like strength training practices, like at, at some of the highest levels are leave something to be desired. I'll put it like that. Like you'll see videos coming out of like Barcelona and Real Madrid, who are some of like the biggest clubs in, in the world. And the strength training they're doing is 
shocking. I'll put it like that. Like, like they're in a good way or no, bad way? in a bad way. Like they're doing like squats like with a bar in cleats on one of like the Bosu balls, like little squishy things, and doing hurdle hot like in the cleats. In cleats, very weird things. So I'll look more for them from like lifestyle and like training habits and stuff like that. Ronaldo's a phenomenal example. Is a lesser known guy unless you actually follow football. Like James Milner, who's like a true like professional, someone who maybe wasn't the most talented but built himself up to be very disciplined. He's like 35, 36 now and is still playing, like still winning fitness tests against all these like 19 year olds, like someone like that who's like takes the, a true professional again, like takes the game very seriously, takes the recovery, their lifestyle, all of that stuff. That's more of what I'll look for from some of these guys at the highest level. And then I'll more try to reverse engineer some of the, like what makes some of these freak guys so good. Like DK Metcalf is a funny example because I think he was on a podcast recently where he was talking about like his diet consisting of like Skittles and all sorts of just like stuff. And dude has an eight pack and can run a near Olympic like 100 meter dash. Like dude is a freak of freaks. And so like he can do whatever he want and I can do whatever I want and I will not be that. And so trying to think okay, of like fair. what what makes like why? Like why is he like that? And then can we reverse engineer? So like maybe I'm not DK, but like can I move in that direction? Like what makes some of these guys freaks? Yeah, that's more the the take that I'll have on that. Okay, fair enough. And eventually I do want to have DK Metcalf on the show because, you know, big DK energy. Oh, that would be fantastic. That's so funny. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm going to have to get my name trademarked because I know for a fact, if he ever wants to start a podcast and he were to come up with this name, it would go viral instantly. Oh, 100%. 100%. Which is why I have to trademark it and have him be like, yo, I want to start a podcast. Wait a minute, hold up. This guy already got it. $2 million for that name. Exactly. (laughs) You just got to get me in the room whenever you do. You got to send me an invite so I can uh, can listen in. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, no, DK Metcalf is a freak of nature. But... Do you know who was also weirdly a freak of nature, but that didn't look like DK? This guy named Jordan Davis. He was an offensive tackle from Georgia, number 99. And this kid was a freak of nature back in college because when most people see offensive linemen, they just think, oh, they're fat and they just stay in one place. Mm. No, they are some of the most mobile guys on the field. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's that's another maybe misconception too, is like, so there are guys like DK who just have Mr. Olympia, like physiques and stuff like that. But like a lot of the best athletes in the world don't have that like bodybuilder, like aren't don't have fantastic fantastic physique. So that's definitely like a misconception. I mean, there's somebody like KD who's been made fun of for being skinny his entire life, who's one of the best basketball players in the entire world. Anderson Silva in his prime had like a damn near dad bod. Like there's, there's examples across all these different sports of guys who don't necessarily like look like Ferraris racehorses, but will absolutely smoke you in whatever sport it is that they, they compete in. Easily. And also, I guess this doesn't count because he is ripped and in shape. However, half Thor, the mountain Bjornsson. Oh my God. Yeah. That guy is a... <laughs> Oh, that guy is a freak. Last time I checked, 6'9", 400 pounds, and ate 10,000 calories? Gigantic. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is that when you look at his abs, you're right. They aren't like washboard, but there's like volume there. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's someone that like, that blows my mind. Like he's still like in fairly good shape or like physique wise for someone that's that big, like to be 400 pounds and like look like look horrifying like oh my god that, that guy is nuts and when him and eddie hall boxed like they both leaned out a lot like they both um like cut in order to in order to fight hmm, didn't know they fought but still yeah i don't think the fight was very good i didn't watch it but jesus christ these guys were shredded like it was it was nuts they just needed to have one less protein shake and that's all that, that was all the difference yeah i mean like dude like to stay that big takes excessive amounts of work like you talk about ten thousand calories like to if you actually put 10,000 calories on a table and said, you have to eat this in the next 
24 hours and then every 20, like it would be legitimate work. Like it would be hard to do to consume that volume of food. Like I actually watched two guys as they try to take on the entirety of the challenge. And so there's like 10 meals at each a day. And I think they barely got to six without oh, throwing God. up. Yeah, exactly. And then to go and like go about the rest of your day, like, oh, it's, it's outrageous. God, I would not want to move. I just feel like my, my stomach would be like, listen, you did this to me. So now we're staying here until we fall asleep. God yeah, dang and, it. And that's where like another thing, like, People look at elite athletes and stuff like that as like, I want to do what these guys do or that sort of thing. Like there's a misconception that elite athletes are not necessarily in great shape, but that is something that is good for you. To perform at the highest level of any sport, like it's not something that soccer mom Susie would try to do to improve her like longevity and sort of thing. like these things are not mutually like conducive. They are like opposite ends of the spectrum. Like to go to the absolute pinnacle of whatever it is that you're trying to do, like Thor's taken years off his life, like to have, like, that is a lot of strain on like the cardiovascular system, everything like that, but like that's a, a sacrifice necessarily to be extremely good at whatever it is that they want to do. And again, not saying that that's something that's bad that they shouldn't do, mm -hmm. but that's can be like a misconception of like, oh, like these guys are doing all of these like fantastic things of like, no, to play like an 82 game NBA season, like that's terrible for your body. Like there's things you can do. Like LeBron has to spend a million and a half dollars a year just to keep the wheels from falling off. Like this is not good for you. Sure. But it's something we all appreciate. Yeah, I mean, sure, he makes that millions of dollars, but like you said, it goes right back into the fitness. 100%. And um, yeah, it really just is a whole investment. And also, now that you mention it, this reminds me of Half Thor. He broke a record, like some old Viking record, where he was he put like a mast of a Viking ship on his back and like moved it forward like a few feet, like. Jeez. A couple of feet. But yeah, I could just think that definitely took years off his life. But also sometimes when I see people lift too hard, they start bleeding out of yeah, their yeah, nose yeah, and mouth. Sure. Has that happened to you before? No, not from lifting, from like boxing and getting punched in the face. Okay, well, uh, you know, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, equally bad ideas, but you know. <laughs> so exactly. But um, where does that come from, though, the bleeding? It's honestly, it's just so much like there's so much blood pressure because there's so much tension and so much strain from trying to lift something that's that's ungodly heavy and not supposed to be moved that I think it's just like the, the capillaries in the nose, one of them will burst or something like that from so much pressure. I've always wondered, like, have someone actually died from blood loss from that or? From blood loss, no, because they're, they're not like bleeding out and it's like, it's, they're not losing copious amounts of blood. It's just, okay. just enough to look cool for the cameras. Yeah, <laughs> okay, awesome. God, it would really suck if one of them was like hemophiliac or something like oh, that. Oh God, yeah, just didn't stop. Yeah, no, that'd be not Yeah, ideal. actually, have you ever had somebody pass out due to a training? Not, not, because, <laughs> not because of your instruction, but just because maybe they were, maybe because they weren't ready to handle the work. So one of the things that we use a ton of in here is the sled. That's something like, yeah, like push pull, like all, all of that stuff. That's something that is every athlete knows that's something that's going to be a part of their training when they, when they walk in here and something that everybody has a love hate relationship with, but we will do a few, there's time trials that we will do usually on like the last day of the week, we'll call it like fucked up Friday. And there will be like a time nice. trial that they'll do that. They'll put a certain percentage of their body weight on the sled and they'll go X distance and they have to beat like a certain time. So a very common one that they do is we've got like a 60 yard strip of turf in here. And so they'll go about 50 yards down and back, 100 yards total with about 70% of their body weight on there. And they have to get in under 90 seconds. And if they don't? I mean, then they're just disappointments. Like nothing bad happens, but like they're, <laughs> they're trying to, they're trying to make that time. And so like they'll go forwards one way and then backwards the other. So we do it a lot of backward sleds. Very, very good for the knee stuff in particular. Well, that will just absolutely trash people. Like we'll call it like the sled flu where people will just kind of lay down looking at the ceiling for about 20 minutes before we continue for the, the rest of our workout. That's usually what gets people. <laughs> Oh yeah, so we have to move on to the next thing. Wait, there's more? Uh-huh, exactly. It's like a scared uh, Billy Mays. Wait, there's more? Uh-huh, we'll program about 10 minutes in, like after that, for just 
sleeping time before we get into the into the rest of our training session. Why is our session 84 minutes? Those four minutes that you need after the sled are going to be needed. Oh, how's 100%. 100% sled, I love going on those in the winter. How possibly bad can it be? Oh, nope. it's, yeah, it's bad. It's bad. It'll get you worse than pretty much anything else that I've done. Come to think of it, what's your least favorite workout? Uh, the sled. I just That's why I'm uh, in this profession now. I make other people do it, so I don't have to. Ah, that's smart. <laughs> it's kind of like a boss and being like, I don't need to do this thing. I'll just get one of my employees to do it. It is funny when you think about like it's an old joke with some of my like gen pop people who were just training for like uh, body composition and, and that sort of stuff of like getting paid to like torture people. There is uh, there's always that element of sadistic <laughs> pleasure, like do another one and like they have to do it. And so, yeah, we can play on that every now and then. Oh man, that's a lot of fun. Well, Zach, I know you're not that kind of guy to do that because you're an upstanding guy who doesn't revel in people's pain. Oh, of course not. You're, you revel in people's progress, but not necessarily the pain that they have to go through. Exactly, exactly. And just huh. knowing it's all part of the process. You're such a stand-up guy, Zach. And <laughs> we're going to find out more about you in the upcoming bonus question round. Ah. Zach, um, I'm having such a blast, man. And I'm also learning a lot from your talk. So, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons I have you on. So thank you for all of it. Absolutely. I'm happy to hold up my end of the deal. Excellent. And yes, you have done that. But here, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to ask for a little bit more from you in, right, in my go. favorite let's part of go. any big DK Energy episode, which is the bonus question round. 10 oh. questions you do not know about. However, you'll still have clients afterwards. <laughs> That's a good uh, rule of thumb. I like that. Of course, we all got to eat here. So, uh -huh. Mr. Woodward, are you ready? Uh, I'm not sure, but I think so. Excellent. Okay. A little nervous. You got this. So, question number one. You and MoveView are doing a collab. What part of the body are you focusing on and what are three exercises that helps with that? Hmm. So, I think we would probably do something for the hips because there's so much kind of room like there's so much wiggle room in there so much stuff that you can do so that atg split squat is one that that i'm a huge huge fan of so if you don't know what that is you can look it up it's it's becoming more common but it's essentially like a lunge but where you reach your front knee instead of just stopping at maybe 90 degrees all the way forward so you're legitimately like sitting your heat your butt on your front heel i can see you making a pain face i've gotten my mother into this like everybody can get into this is just the regressions so it does great stuff for the knee but then you also get a really really big stretch in that back hip flexor that's usually what gets most guys in the beginning is we don't have that kind of hip mobility so that would be a really really big one because again we take on that stretch and strength concept that we were talking earlier where it's not just getting a stretch that we're going through but we're actually getting some load where we can mobilize the the hips a little bit more create some structural adaptation so that gets the hip flexor another one that i'm a big fan of is the seated good morning um, so this one is like you're sitting on a bench feet are kind of wide and you can either use a dumbbell or a bar on your back and you're basically trying to touch your belly to the bench so imagine like you were kind of bringing your chest in between your thighs and so that's another great one for the hips but now this one gets a little bit more into the groin so the HEG split squat is a little bit more of that hip flexor that forward and backwards and so this one gets more into that groin that lateral that side to side um, and this is a really challenging one for most people to start off with mobility wise but once you can get the mobility to get into this is a really fun one to push like strength wise actually I've gotten up to like a 200 pound seated good morning for a handful of reps that was it feels kind of sick. It's a really great one for an athlete to build up that lower back strength, the strength of the glutes. So it's one that looks maybe scary or intimidating, but it's definitely one that you can you can build up to. And to that point, the the last one, the one that's the most probably scary for most people, but I use a ton for people with uh, low back stuff, is the Jefferson curl. And so this one is essentially, imagine you just took a weight, you can start as light as you want to, and just tried to round down and touch your toes. So there's that big, one of the big, again, like myths and stuff like that is you should never round your back, never round your spine when you lift. This is actually a lift designed to make you round your back. So you literally stand up tall and I tell people to do it like an accordion. Like you go piece by piece, chin to your chest, round the shoulders, moving each little vertebrae, each little segment of your spine. You're rolling that down one piece at a time. 
just going as far as you can, letting the weight pull you down and getting that stretching and strengthening idea. And then you reverse it slowly, piece by piece, roll yourself back up. And this is actually, people look at it and be like, oh my God, my back's gonna explode. Like this is one of the single best exercises that I've used for people with low back issues, herniated discs, bone spurs, all sorts of stuff. I've used this exercise more than any other exercise to actually help rebuild people's lower back because you get some tractioning, some lengthening through that lower back, a little bit of pulling on the vertebrae, all the little muscles in there so you can get more mobile and you can get stronger at the same time. I might want to try that Jefferson curl out sometime on my own, but um, that sec, what was that second one you told me, the, the seated good morning? The seated good morning, yes. Yeah, I could have used that when I played hockey because I pulled my groin a couple of times. Oh, and, wow. And let me tell you, it sucked. Question number two, dream vacation and itinerary. Haha, I might actually be taking this um, soon. Debating, there's two places that I want to go. Costa Rica is one that I've always had on my bucket list. Um, I like to surf. I'm not a very good surfer, but I like to surf. And so going down there to like surf, explore the jungle, like do all of that stuff. Like I'm a nerd for like nature and that sort of thing, getting out and I love like the beach and the mountains and that sort of stuff. So I think that would probably be the dream one for sure. I've also got eyes on like Bali or Thailand potentially very soon. I actually have some like coaching connections, people that, that live out there that have retreats and workshops. So might go out there and hide in the jungle for a little bit and work on some uh, self-development. I mean, you're killing two birds with one stone just as you do for your workouts. So exactly. I guess that's your mantra, Mr. Woodward. Absolutely. Return on investment. I'm big on it. That's a good mindset to have. Question number three. You've been struck by radioactive lightning and now one part of your body can never physically break. Which is it? Oh, wow. My spine, for sure. I'm going more like nerdy sciencey here, sorry. But like from like an athletic perspective, like that's the one thing that like that houses our central nervous system with the spinal cord. Like it is the, like the origin of everything else that comes out of it. And we are thought and trained to believe that never moves, that is very fragile. Um, it's something that we need to be protect. And it's something that can be a great asset of great strength if we know how to move it, if we allow it to kind of be flexible and be strong and do all the things that it can do. It's the kind of driver for everything else that we do from the hips, from the shoulders, to throwing, to anything athletic. I mean, you know, just the fact for the thought, go to the gym comes from the central nervous system. And yeah. what does that connect from? The spine. Everything else. I would have expected like legs or knees, but honestly, spine, that's a great answer. I got the training for the knees. I'm good. I don't need to. <laughs> okay. You know what? That's fair. Question number four. Assuming there's no budget and you don't have to feel uh, guilty about protein, describe your last meal. I'm a one of everything kind of guy. Like give me a buffet and we're gonna, we're gonna go to town. I can put away some food. But if I had to, I think a, a juicy steak would be, would be absolutely my go-to. I never go to steakhouses because they're obnoxiously expensive, but the few times that you know, I'll get a birthday wish and I get to go, always the go-to, like what, a well-cooked steak. I mean, a filet is a classic, right? But I think I really like a ribeye, like ones that are a little bit fattier. That gives you a really, really nice flavor in there, a nice crust, um, little medium rare center. That's, I don't think you could go wrong. So you would just have one steak or would you have like sides as well? I think I would have eight steaks. Okay, you know what? <laughs> Fair. I mean, you probably could handle all that. That's the thing. You know, that's probably half of your protein intake anyway. Exactly. Question number two, give me two incidents in your life that you confirmed that personal training, strength coaching was the path for you. Um, okay. So the first time I actually got into coaching was at Florida Tech. One of my last couple of years there, I knew I was going to transfer to UCF to start to get into like the more of the kinesiology, strength and conditioning world. And Great choice, by the way. Thank you, thank you. Um, and so I was looking to like start to learn, start to get experience and stuff like that. And so I went and asked the strength and conditioning coach there if I could help him out, if I could intern, if I could shadow, whatever. And we were severely understaffed there, so he was more than happy for me to do that. So I worked with the, the football team. And so we had a pretty small weight room, so we would have groups of, of guys that would come in. So there would be 
five or six guys that would come in over, or five or six groups that would come in over a handful of hours. And so it'd be the same workout each time. And so I have no training, no experience, no certification at this time at all. I'm just going in there and we're just figuring it out as we go, like coaching these guys and all that stuff. And by the end of that semester, I would help him coach the first three sessions and then he would leave. And I would run like the last two to three sessions. And again, no experience, no nothing. And so that was like very much like kind of sink or swim, but like learning the coaching side of things more than just the science side of things of like the actual application of what sets reps, but like how to actually communicate with people. How do I get somebody to execute at the highest level that we possibly can? How do you bring some of that stuff out of them? Like the soft skills of coaching. That was something that I got a lot of experience with that and something that was a very fun experience. So that's, I think, the big one. Dang, already thrown into the fiery pit with no experience. 100%. Sink or swim, that's the best way to go. Is there another incident? Hmm. So there was another one. The first time that I got into just training in general, more for myself, was in high school either junior, I think it was senior year actually. It was me and a couple of buddies. Flo actually was one of our buddies. <laughs> Good old um, Flo. Uh-huh, so me, him, and um, two other guys, we would go to the gym at like five in the morning like before like classes and stuff like that. We would either, get up, go to the gym, go train, go get Subway, walk late in the first period, like all, all of that <laughs> stuff. Like our teacher was cool, he didn't really care. And so like just getting into that environment for the first time um, and especially having that community piece, having training partners, having people around you and stuff like that was, was a very big piece and something that I think is underrated. But that was my first introduction into just training in general. And so maybe not necessarily knew that like I was gonna train from there, but it was something that I enjoyed that I was passionate about. I enjoyed like the self-development aspect of it, all of, all of those things. Okay, let me listen, it's your answer. So there is no wrong answer. Beautiful. Question number six, give me a far-fetched goal on your bucket list. I'll give you two that are very different. One was to live in a place like Bali or Indonesia or Costa Rica or like one of these like kind of foreign countries and stuff like that and live more of that almost like that hermit lifestyle and kind of just like surf, train. So if I was gonna be in Costa Rica, I'd surf. If I was gonna be in Thailand, I'll train Muay Thai, like live that lifestyle, like have the online business and stuff like that that I can do from, from anywhere. Um, so that's one that actually is probably more practical today that I'll, pr I'll probably do for, for some period of my life, definitely not forever. But a, a bigger one that I've had when, since I first got into this was having a facility that had all aspects of performance under one roof. So what I mean with that is like in the strength and or in the collegiate world, like for strength and conditioning, everything is very compartmentalized. You have your sport coach, you have your strength coach, you have your athletic trainer, you have your team doctor, and like they all work for the school, but like they don't necessarily communicate as well as they could. It's not the most cohesive system. And like some places are better than others, obviously, but as a, as a general rule. And so to have a, have a place, have a facility where all of that was under one roof. We could do their strength training, their recovery, having sauna, ice bath, like we could have PTs, physios in the place. We could have a, probably for me, it'd be a, it'd be a soccer pitch, not a basketball court coming from my background. <laughs> um, but we could have like, well, it's a five-a-side court, like a full court where like guys could come train. I was really modeled at actually, if you watch The Last Dance, Tim Grover, the guy that's uh, famous for training MJ, he has this place called like Attack Athletics up in, I think it's in Ohio. But it's essentially that but for basketball players. It has all of these things under one roof. Like guys can come actually like, hoop, like shoot around, like then they can train, then they can recover, like they can do everything like in, in a one-stop shop. So creating that place that I maybe wish I had as a kid where you could just go and show up and train. And that was it, just try to become as good as you can at whatever it is that you wanna be. So for me, as like a high school kid growing up trying to play soccer, trying to play college, trying to play pro, pro of like wanting to know what more I could do, like what things could I do to, to get better and to have a place where I could just not have to worry about that. I could just show up and train as much as I wanted to to try to be the best that I could be. Like to create that place, 
would be pretty cool. Now you're giving me ideas of what I want in my future house, including a place to train and, well, because I grew up playing hockey, a nice rink. Let's go, absolutely. If I can somehow make that work in Florida, that'll be a, a, a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a challenge. The AC bill will be a challenge. Question number seven. You're leading a mobility session for three of your favorite athletes. Who are they and what do you learn about each person's mentality? Mm. Saquon is somebody that I've wanted to train for a while. We've like messaged every a couple of times on Instagram, but like actually getting him in the facility, getting him to train, like do all of that stuff, that would be fantastic. I know he's had like hip issues in the past, so that would definitely be something that we would see if we could address, see if we could work on. I definitely gotta get a gotta get a soccer guy in there, gotta get a footballer. I mean, I feel like you can't pass up the chance to to train Messi, so to actually get him in the gym. And then I'd love to get a get a fighter as well. Like MMA and martial arts and stuff like that. So to get to get a legit UFC fighter. So let's get McGregor if he ever fights again. If he's still even considered active. So let's get the three of these guys in the gym. Let's get them moving. Let's see what they can do. All right. Be a hell of a group, right? <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh, and actually, uh, the second part of my question is, what do you learn about each person's mentality? I don't know. They would have to show me. Actually, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> yeah, I'll, okay. le I'll learn when they're there. But like, What's one aspect of their game that you respect and would like to learn more on, I mm. guess, is what I'm trying to go with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Messi is the one that's obviously like that's that's my sport background. So the one that I'm probably the, the most intrigued in. But even McGregor as well with like with the, the fight game. Because I so someone like Saquon, like he's an absolute just like tank powerhouse, like an absolute like freak of freaks. And so I think of the sport of football in particular, something that's a little bit more raw, whereas something like soccer is a little bit more like skill based, like a little bit more like refined but you know what I mean like to, to, to that degree so the way that that McGregor and Messi like you can tell with both of them that they see the game differently that they think about things differently and I don't know if that's something that they could even convey or teach or if that's something that I can pick up on but just to be in that like environment around them to see how they train like how do they approach that stuff they're so talented they are so skilled that they can see things that other people looking at the same picture cannot so like if like you're standing in front of McGregor and stuff like that like he will see openings in your defense for for an example that like to a normal person would be like what are you talking about his guards up he can do this but like no if I do this and this but then there's an opening so like it's it's I like that that concept you see it a lot from some of the best like midfielders in, in like the soccer world of how like some of the passes that they can play and stuff like that like they just see into the future like the way that things are going to develop and they can take advantage of that to to perform at a ridiculously high level yeah that's fair and also i also like the fact that you bring up the fact that yes football you do need to be talented but you know you could be five six in soccer and still be a good player as long as you're fast whereas if you're five six in football you're going to get crushed or yeah, you're the like, water boy yeah like every every sport like so i mean trust me i've growing up as a soccer player in america like we get ripped on our fair share for not being real like athletes whatever whatever but like every sport i think exists on a continuum of like there's an athletic requirement and there's a skill requirement and so every sport exists somewhere on that continuum so football is going to be much 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 more heavily into the athletic requirement less of the skill requirement not to say that there's no skill requirement in football but like the technical skill in soccer to manipulate a ball with your foot compared to like running a route in football it's just a higher skill component but these guys are freaks of freaks in terms of athletes like there is so something like that like if you are not at a certain threshold of athleticism there's just you have no chance there's no there's no way that you can play versus something like ping pong very very low athletic requirement but extremely skilled, the finesse and stuff like that. And so there was like, you can be, Saquon can go and play ping pong and he's gonna get destroyed because like you don't have like that technical skill. And so soccer is just farther on that, like that skill based, like with all, still like a very high athletic requirement, but not to the same degree as something like 
the NFL. And so that's just, that's how I conceptualize different sports of like, where are they along that, along that continuum? It's like a matrix of, what were the two parameters you said? So you've got like raw athletics, like athletics, athleticism, and skill, like technical skill. Okay, got it. I'm just trying to build the X and Y axis. Yeah. That. So it's not to say that like a ping pong is not a sport because you don't have to be an athlete. Like, yes, but you have to be extremely, extremely skilled technical. So that's where you can just kind of plug and choose where you are. But that's where, to your point about the soccer players, is like you can get away with being less athletic if you are extremely, extremely skilled. So like a Ronaldinho could probably come back and play at a high level at 50 years old, even though he's not an athlete, because the things that he can do with the ball are outrageous and so like that can compensate for not necessarily being as athletic as he used to be in his prime okay all fair points question number eight you're creating a music festival for a charity oh let's go who is the charity and name six of the performers oh my god so i just <laughs> i just went to my uh first like festival like literally this year so like i'm just oh, getting one? into the so Big Gigantic came to Orlando. It was like a smaller like concert, more than like a festival. Okay. And then I went to um, We Belong here down in Miami that had, I honestly forget who was headlining. So those are the, the only two that I've, I've been to. All right. Uh, but starting to, to dip my toe into that world. So the first one that comes to mind is the, the Boys and Girls Club. I mean, that's, I feel like, the, the iconic one that, you know, like kind of growing up with and that sort of thing. But if I had to maybe describe one, I think it would probably be for maybe more like, like an orphanage, like orphans and stuff like that, people who grow up without parents. Like the, it's something to, to give them a leg up or like a chance to go explore different activities, I guess. Um, whatever it would be, it would be something along the lines of like providing whoever it is an opportunity to explore explore different avenues of work different like different interests and stuff like that to give them access to something that they maybe wouldn't have have access to and in terms of who would the performers be so so big gigantic and grizz for sure love love those two so then definitely j cole for sure is the go we're gonna give it a little mix in there so john bellion is somebody that i love i listen to a lot mm. mac miller is coming back from the dead for sure r.i.p okay so there's this pianist called like ludovico inaudi i uh, think i'm butchering his last his name but he's like an italian he plays a piano it's beautiful i listen I've got his stuff for like instrumental like study soundtracks listen to a ton of his stuff I bring him as well get a little mix of everything you know what I like the fact that you know these things can be mixes because I could listen to that and be like in a completely zen state of mind when I need to like go in between the sets but then when it becomes to a uh, big gigantic and grizz you, you know, go rock out exactly you got to do it all and also I will sing my heart out to senior skip day out when yeah, Matt comes oh up. yes absolutely question number nine if you could live in any book TV or movie universe what would it be and what's your role in that universe? <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna get exposed for my nerddom here. Let's see. Since I'm watching it now and I love the I love the show, I, so I, I'm a little bit of an anime nerd. I don't watch too much TV or anything like that, but I do like some anime shows. So, so I'd probably pick My Hero. And because it's way less dark than some of the other animes, I'm not putting myself in Attack on Titan. Not, not happening. No, uh, <laughs> no sane person would put themselves ab in Attack on Titan. Absolutely not. So we're gonna be in we're gonna be in My Hero, and we're gonna be some sort of hero for for sure. What's your quirk? Ah, damn it! I should have known that was coming. I'd like to be able to read people's minds, know what people are up to. That's both very useful and very dangerous. Yes, exactly. I don't know. Maybe there's some things that are best kept unsaid, whether I read them or not. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Zach, we're having such a great time. We're already at the last question. Amazing. Yeah. It's and going uh, by. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And so it's the same question that I ask everybody. However, the answer, the answer is always vary. And that is, what is your best, most recent accomplishment? The first one that jumps to mind is like a personal one. Like it was a very small event, but like competed in like an amateur like boxing event, basically. And so like those- That's sick, by the way. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Um, and so one, that was a very cool experience, but don't have a ton of training, but more just wanted to like 
kind of show up and see what happens. And it showed up and it went pretty well. So like actually just getting in the... Well, it looks like you still got all your teeth, so that's yes, a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everything's still there, not too crooked. Um, so just doing my best to do something that was I thought would be challenging and kind of keep my head and everything like that. So that was cool. And something professional. So I've had a couple of athletes that have just come back recently from their ACL tears. So like finished up training and have got like both of them got back on the field. One actually got back just in time to become like a state champion for uh, soccer for high school. Um, so that was super cool. Really proud of him. Another one has got back with his club team and his scoring goals and doing all sorts of cool stuff. So that kind of stuff is I get the most excited about. Always very happy to see. You got a guy getting back to, you know, winning games and uh, even winning championship games. So those are two extra notches for your belt, Mr. Woodward. 100%. Excellent. All right. Well, Zach, even though that you were a fantastic guest, unfortunately, we are at the end of the show. I just want to say thank you again for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join the show. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Glad you had a lot fun and so Zach for helping rehab and helping train the people of Central Florida into becoming both stronger and much more limber um, versions of themselves those are few of the many reasons why I think you Zach Woodward have big DK energy <laughs> I love it I love it thank you very much I appreciate it of course man all right and so we're gonna put all of his links in the description box below and uh, Zach is there anything you want to say or promote before we head out um, no I mean if you can find me you want to find me on Instagram it's probably the best place to connect uh, that's where I post my most content and easiest place to reach and get in touch with me all right excellent so I guess that that's all being said and done I'm Danny K the big DK energy podcast and we're signing off